a deflationary monetary system of absolute hard money acts as a mirror for value creation. It is a compass to guide us toward a better economic path. Value is created through human ingenuity, environmental necessity, and the compounding productivity driven by our accumulation of collective knowledge. These forces are often labeled generically as technology or innovation, and they always create value, decreasing informational entropy. Said differently, all productivity is driven by technology, and all technological innovation is deflationary at a fundamental level. That is, as long as money remains a constant in the equation. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What is up? Welcome back, guys. This is Bitcoin Audible, the place where you will learn everything there is to learn about Bitcoin, the economics, the philosophy, the history behind it, and on and on. I am your professor today, Guy Swan, and your decentralized textbook at, what are we, 536 reads now, uh, are the authors, the top authors in the Bitcoin space. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And before we get into today's read, I want you guys to bear with me a little bit for the next couple of weeks. I'm making some really big shifts behind the scenes that I, I really hope will make things easier going forward. And I am hoping that this will be seamless, but I am not about to bet any of my sats on it. I'm officially moving away from Anchor for my hosting, which is kind of sad. Anchor's been an awesome platform for a very long time for me. Uh, but so far, that movement, that, that move has not been very fun. Even just getting the episodes moved over and the redirect seemed like it should be a simple task, but out of 675 episodes, there were 589 errors. Uh, which means boatloads of annoying and tedious conversion and uploading and indexing and blah, blah work for me. So if some episodes go offline, if uh, some ads accidentally get doubled up on in the short term, if shows have some missing pieces, please let me know so I can correct them and I will try to stay as on top of this as possible. But please forgive me if there are some mistakes in the transition. Uh, huge thanks, though, to uh, Shift Crypto, builders of my favorite hardware wallet, the Bitbox O2, and of course, the number one Bitcoin dollar cost averaging platform, Swan Bitcoin, both for funding all of this craziness and making it hurt not quite so, as, so bad as it otherwise could, um, and keeping Bitcoin Audible alive for you guys. Don't forget, using my links at guyswan.com, swan with two N's. You get 5% off your BitBox and anything else at their shop, actually, and $10 free to start your savings plan with Swan. So with that out of the way, today's read is amazing. It's a topic I've always loved, and I find it to be critical to understanding why 
Bitcoin is the best money we have ever had. Um, this is a Bitcoin magazine piece that I've been sitting on wanting to cover for a while. Might be hard to follow at a couple of points in audio, but I promise to go back over it and the ideas are critical in my opinion, so stick around for the guy's take. Without further ado, today's read from Bitcoin Magazine, and it's titled Bitcoin Information Theory by Aaron Siegel Entropy, a natural phenomenon, is closely related to money and information energy. Bitcoin as information is a reduction of entropy. When Buckminster Fuller was asked by a 12-year-old boy how he would suggest solving international problems without violence, he answered, I always try to solve problems by some artifact, some tool or invention that makes what people are doing obsolete, so that it makes this particular kind of problem no longer relevant. My answer would be to develop a world energy grid, an electric grid where everybody is on the same grid. All of a sudden there would be no problems anymore, no international troubles. Our new economic basis wouldn't be gold or dollars, it would be kilowatt hours. The above quote from the prescient Buckminster Fuller in 1983 was in reference to his now famous prognostication of the kilowatt dollar something he first discussed as far back as 1969, three years before Nixon took us off the gold standard. While Mr. Fuller was referring to a theoretical energy-based unit of money, what he could not have realized at the time is that he was really talking about Bitcoin. Money, our most fundamental unit of social information technology. In a free market society, the greatest network of information by far is price, which itself is, at its core, an intersubjective agreement of value. Money is the abstraction of that value. The shelling point for participants in a society is whichever money exists that can best transmit that price information. This is where money, quote, wants to go. Money is, therefore, the facilitator of our communication and distribution of all economic resources. All innovation and societal progress flows from this communication. It is perhaps the most elementary and consequential social tool we have and has been essential to our species' ability to successfully scale. Or in other words, dominate and hyper-exponentially populate the earth. This principle of money, while simultaneously vague and grandiose, is perhaps so because it is taken for granted, abstracted away and obfuscated by technocrats, economists, and politicians alike who are currently co-piloting our existing monetary system. Importantly, money is also the means to transfer uncertainty and risk to those willing to bear that uncertainty. This is one of the key manners in which money acts as information beyond price itself, as monetary transfer of risk and uncertainty unveils invaluable morsels of information by way of successes and failures. It builds anti-fragility in the system with these increments of volatility throughout time. Without money, there would be no measure of volatility, no means to evaluate success or failure, 
and no motivation for such risk-transferring behavior. More specifically, a medium of risk transmission is necessary for the accumulation of productive capital. Risk-takers and those with the appropriate skills to build new productive capital are not always the same people. Those who already have accumulated wealth are not always those most fit to build new capital stock. Thus, a marketplace is needed to allow the swapping of risk in order to build the capital stock. Money is the medium of such transactions. With these fundamental and philosophical logos as our background state, let us now explore how money as information technology is key to our grokking of money's entanglement with the harnessing of energy as a means to advance civilization. Not only does such an exploration help us to establish just how detrimental fiat forms of money are to the process of energy phase transitions, but it helps us realize just how invaluable Bitcoin is as a means to extricate ourselves from the socio-economic dilemma we currently face. Diagram of the Kardashev Scale A theory originating from Russian astrophysicist Nikolai Kardashev that touches upon the themes of this article, namely the relationship between technology and energy. The theory posits that to know a civilization's capacity to advance, one must know the available energy it can harness. Unfortunately, Earth currently is defined as Type 0, unable yet to harness all the energy available on our planet, and not even on the above evolutionary map. Energy, Monetary Entropy, and Information Parity For the purposes of the below discussion, let us define entropy in its simplest manner. High entropy is a state of high disorder whereas low entropy is a state of high order. An Entropy Equilibrium Hypothesis Thermodynamic entropy increases are always balanced by a commensurate decrease in information entropy, so that thermodynamic entropy equals negative information entropy, where a positive value indicates an increase in entropy and a negative value indicates a decrease in entropy. This hypothesis is essentially an adaptation of the second law of thermodynamics, combining it with concepts from information theory, and using these observations to create a formula that is more comprehensively applicable to human economic activities. It is a restatement of this law so as to better understand the relationship between energy, money, and information. It is simple and symmetrical. The power of X. X to the unknown power equals technological innovation's exponential order of scaling. Human productivity involves taking our temporary and low entropy states, elegant organizations of double helixed organic and carbon based existence, and transforming these arrangements into higher entropy states as we consume other low-entropy energy matter to then produce higher-entropy energy in the form of work. Technological innovation enables us to do this work easier, faster, better, and more abundantly with the same quantity of resources. This is also called 
productivity. According to the renowned information theory of Claude Shannon, quote, If information equals resolved uncertainty, entropy must be the uncertainty needing resolving. In short, information equals reduced entropy. Technology, in turn, is what allows information to scale. Let us further unpack this concept of information, at least in the context of this article, as unstructured data manipulated into a structured and intentionally ordered format that reduces uncertainty. Just as the first law of thermodynamics teaches us that energy can neither be created nor destroyed, likewise, the second law of thermodynamics states that thermodynamic entropy always increases over time. However, this law says nothing of entropy inherent to information or specific human systems, such as market economies. Consequently, the second law of thermodynamics says nothing of the impact of human technological ingenuity on other forms of entropy, particularly related to information. Given all this analysis, we can refine the above formula further as Thermodynamic energy multiplied by technology's ability to scale equals negative information entropy. However, this equation, Spartan as it is, is not complete, at least when applied to human, social, and economic systems. As previously discussed, given that money is perhaps the basest unit of information technology for social scaling, we must incorporate it into this formula, along with the general exponential order of technological scaling. We modify x, the exponential order of technological scaling, by subtracting ME, monetary entropy, and raising it to the unknown exponent. We will define monetary entropy as the long-term inflation rate of that money. In truth, monetary entropy is influenced by much more than monetary inflation alone, discussed further below. But for the sake of parsimony, let us be content with this lean definition for the moment. We can now write the hypothesis more comprehensively as Thermodynamic energy to the power of the exponential technological scaling minus the monetary entropy equals the negative information entropy. The crucial realization as it concerns the important paradigm shift inherent to Bitcoin is as follows. Fiat money involves a net increase in entropy. This cannot be overstated and is imperative to this article's thesis. Such a conclusion is reached despite money theoretically being a form of information that should reduce entropy when applied as intended. However, fiat, unfortunately, is not money as money was intended. Inflation, centralized and thus arbitrary control of the rules of supply, and attempts at also controlling demand via administered risk-free rates, global exchange rate volatility and competitive devaluations and mercantilism, subsidies, free debt-supporting zombie industries, opaque and uneven taxation enforcement, and many other behaviors all conspire to create an aggregate equation of massive entropy in fiat money economies. 
When money is denominated in fiat, ME or monetary entropy is always greater than zero and is often well above this threshold, especially in the fullness of time. When money is denominated in Bitcoin, monetary entropy always equals zero, period. No asterisks, no footnotes. Another important observation teased out by the above formula is that as the left side of the equation, thermodynamic energy, taking into account technological scaling and monetary entropy, increases, a system's inputs or energy resources exhibit greater scarcity. Kyle Barenko writes, Entropy forms the basis of scarcity because humans cannot move energy the other way from a state of disorder to order. If money is not permitted its intrinsic capacity to absorb this scarcity, other resources will need to fill that void. This increases the cost of information production because there are fewer and fewer sources of increasing thermodynamic entropy from which to convert into decreasing informational entropy. Consequently, the system will experience a drag on productivity. Such an environment also manifests hidden costs, like environmental externalities and systemic fragility, which are easily cemented into chronic problems that become difficult to fix. If an increase in the left side of the equation, thermodynamic entropy, leads to greater thermodynamic or monetary scarcity, this implies that the equivalent decline in IE, information entropy, leads to a greater supply of structured, ordered information, decreasing informational entropy. Basic laws of supply and demand conclude this will tend to reduce the cost of information proportionally. So if, in the form of Bitcoin, money is allowed to absorb thermodynamic entropy, money will accrue the incremental scarcity from increases in thermodynamic entropy values. This is how we arrive at another mathematical phenomenon, stated as NGU, or more colloquially known as number go up. Growth does not need to equal gross domestic product, or GDP. GDP growth equals more consumption. The largest contributing factor to GDP is consumption, and this has been growing materially as a percentage of GDP ever since the financialization of our economy via exponential growth in money and debt since the 1971 unraveling of Bretton Woods, the subsequent formation of the fiat standard, and the USD petrodollar global reserve system. This trend only gets amplified further after each debt shock, forcing more and more consumption and leveraging to extricate ourselves from the newly indebted state we create with each cycle. This is clearly evidenced in the below chart, both at the starting point in the early 1970s since the Great Financial Crisis and more recently the COVID-19 pandemic. And this just shows a strong uptrend in the consumption in nominal U.S. dollars as a percentage of U.S. GDP. This is a recipe for disaster. It is definitionally unsustainable to grow in perpetuity by this measure given 1. Limited thermodynamic resources and more importantly perhaps 2. 
the inefficient use and squandering of those very resources. This squandering is effectuated by inflationary monetary policies that do not allow the economy to transition naturally into a lower consumption society, resulting from reduced informational entropy and the abundance this could create if we allow it. A sustainable path requires a redefinition of growth away from concepts requiring increased consumption. Quantity of goods and services produced, wage growth, time worked, asset inflation wealth effects, etc. Allowing the evolution of energy, information, and money to virtuously improve our prosperity. Growth equals informational entropy equals more time and lower time preference. The above equation helps us visualize a framework for such a dynamic and demonstrates how Bitcoin, as a base layer with a zero monetary entropy, can help propel us into this future. Money does not equal value. Instead, it is a measure of value created in an economy. Good money, therefore, is information. It informs us of our progress. Bad money blinds us, causing us to veer off into spindly and corroded dirt roads. Inflation does not equal the consumer price index. Inflation is not the cost of gas prices. It is not lumber prices going up. It is not the price of a Big Mac or your electricity bill. It is not even your house's value appreciating. The most encompassing definition for inflation is more fundamentally the depreciation of money versus the value otherwise created. Inflationary monetary systems obfuscate the value created by societal productivity. This simple statement cannot be overstated. Since the early decades of the 20th century, we have errantly accepted inflation as a first principle necessity in all free markets, but it is not the natural economic state, and in a broader historical context, it is actually a fairly recent experiment. See Gibson's paradox. Quite the opposite is true in terms of the natural state of human progress and free market capitalism. Once this problem is truly appreciated, the value of an absolute scarcity that is verifiable, immutable, and censorship-resistant across time and space, as well as stateless, belonging to the free market, we suddenly realize just how incredible an invention this truly is. That is the rabbit hole that is Bitcoin. The notion is subtle, but once understood, the gravitational desire to dive headfirst down this rabbit hole of myriad societal revolutions becomes an inescapable journey. Quote, You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Buckminster Fuller Bitcoin equals a mirror. A deflationary monetary system of absolute hard money acts as a mirror for value creation. It is a compass to guide us toward a better economic path. Value is created through human ingenuity, environmental necessity, and the compounding productivity driven by our accumulation of collective knowledge. 
These forces are often labeled generically as technology or innovation, and they always create value, decreasing informational entropy. Said differently, all productivity is driven by technology, and all technological innovation is deflationary at a fundamental level. That is, as long as money remains a constant in the equation. If, however, money is inflating, we lose our measure of value. It would be like using the proverbial yardstick that constantly redefines what a yard is. A table is two yards, but then a yardstick creates more units and suddenly that table is four yards. The table did not grow. The measurement unit shrank. A store of value is just as it sounds. It stores all the productivity and work created. If more value is created than a sound money, then that money by definition has more purchasing power and stores greater and greater value. If instead value is being destroyed by money supply abuse, then people will, without fail, seek to store their value elsewhere. Money must always, therefore, start as a store of value before it becomes a medium of exchange. Deflation is a measure of success in creating economic value as innovation creates more for less. If prices decrease by 5% per year, that is a much greater expression of value creation than our current measures that are perversely inverted, such as real GDP. If you print dollars and then count the value created in those very dollars, what does that actually tell you? What if you could instead calculate the amount of goods and services created versus the dollars created? Would that not tell us more? Conclusion We live in a time of incredible technological advancements on increasingly exponential growth curves. This is taking information production to an unseen scale of abundance. But such abundance is diluted and often fully negated by fiat's perversion of money's potential to synergistically accommodate such plentitude. If technological productivity has the potential to decrease informational entropy output for each thermodynamic unit of increased entropy input, this is the true definition of wealth creation and prosperity. More for less. Fiat not only robs us of this wealth, but it adds to the entropic dissipation polluting our ecosystem and making it ever more fragile. Yes, ecosystem, a word most often associated with the environmental dialogues, is not coincidentally built from the word economy itself, with its etymological roots in the Greek words for distribution of the home as thermodynamic systems are inextricably linked to systems of human productivity, or information. Concluding with the trite axiom, Bitcoin fixes this, does not even begin to do the solution that is Bitcoin the justice it deserves. Bitcoin addresses this problem like Cinderella's slipper. It is a perfect fit, or a perfect solution in this case. Not only does the Bitcoin network inherently take highly disordered information and asymmetrically through cryptography make this information incredibly ordered, 
as eloquently stated by Bitcoiner Gigi in his article, Bitcoin's Eternal Struggle. But Bitcoin, the money, with its properties of absolute scarcity, decentralized consensus, immutably programmed supply, rule-based and anti-fragile incentive structure, changes the game entirely. Each of these properties on their own would change the game, as they're each intensely conducive to decreased informational entropy, especially when compared to fiat. But when combined, the synergistic reduction in entropy is perhaps even more exponential than the Cambrian explosion of information that is being produced by today's technological abundance. It will be a great day, or perhaps a great filter of sorts, when the ships of money and other technology can sail along the same current. And that concludes the guest post by Aaron Siegel. Bitcoin Information Theory. Let's take a quick break for the sponsor, and I really hope uh, I've got some time to dig a little bit into this incredible piece. The BitBox O2 for your Bitcoin keys is a barrier between bad guys and your Bitcoin bits. It's a basic box that blesses your keys with bountiful protection and will boost embracing you for the blowout bullishness of hyper-Bitcoinization as Bitcoin on your BitBox becomes the bedrock of the battle for a borderless future. The BitBox is your Bitcoin vault. It's not even got buttons. Don't let a burglar get your bits. Bind your binaries to the open source BitBox and Binance. Bypass the Binance IOUs. Be a based Bitcoiner and use the Bitcoin BitBox O2 5% 5% off your purchase if you put guy in the discount box. <laughs> Beer box! So I want to get at the heart of the concept in this piece before we really kind of talk about why Bitcoin, and, and I really love this, this kind of thesis, this idea, is why Bitcoin is the best money and ultimately the most pure unit of account that could arise in a market at its saturation point, as it becomes the monetary good. So there's a quote that uh, early on in the piece, it says, let us further unpack this concept of information, at least in the context of this article, as unstructured data manipulated into a structured and intentionally ordered format that reduces uncertainty. So information is reduced entropy. And I kind of, I want to just give an example of this because it's pretty profound. You know, we are pattern recognition machines. Information and knowledge is the recognition and the ability to make use of or uh, redirect a common pattern that we see in the world to utilize that for a specific purpose rather than just kind of attacking the universe in a random fashion until we stumble upon that pattern that we need. It's the, it's the manifestation and the recording or codification of that pattern into something that we can spread throughout human civilization. So let's say just in a general idea, I, I build a machine what that machine is, is essentially the manifestation of the idea, of the pattern that 
the, the pattern of reality, the pattern of physics or whatever it is that I have recognized, that the information has distilled down to me. Uh, so it's a piece of information, a concept or pattern in the world in which I have built some structure to make use of the, that pattern. My knowledge of that information has allowed me to build a thing that takes that truth and turns it into something else or, or utilizes it for some other purpose. An internal combustion engine, for example, is like the psychotic entropy and unknown outcomes, just the, the, um, the chaos of a gasoline explosion that has no real direction or use or anything, but knowing that that will occur, that I'm able to build a machine, I'm able to build a structure that can utilize that in thousands of tiny little moments in a controlled fashion and redirect that into the movement of a large, heavy object over long distances. I'm able to take that information, that pattern that I recognize, and redirect it into something else. The engine is the manifestation of that information, of that knowledge that we discovered in the real world. And another major point that he hits on in this piece of the idea of moving, we're essentially enabling or controlling the movement from low entropy to high entropy in the context of gasoline being burned. And in the process of that transition, like back to the, the idea that he mentions early on in the article about there's no real such thing as consuming energy, right? All we are able to do is guide the movement of low entropy to high entropy energy and use that transition for our own purposes to try to create a higher state of order. And essentially the efficiency and the technology that we innovate and build on top of is how to better make use of that transition to create more and more order with less and less creation of disorder, even though obviously the laws of thermodynamics suggest no matter what we do, no matter what anybody anywhere does, disorder is, higher entropy is the only outcome. Like, it's, that's the default. And he's got a, a great quote that it was from Kyle Baranko or Baranko, I don't know exactly how to pronounce that, um, but it says, entropy forms the basis of scarcity. Because humans cannot move energy the other way, from a state of disorder to order. Immediately following this, he says, If money is not permitted its intrinsic capacity to absorb this scarcity, other resources will need to fill that void. This increases the cost of information production because there are fewer and fewer sources of increasing thermodynamic entropy from which to convert into decreasing informational entropy. Now to kind of go through this concept, I want to take a step back for a second. So what is the role of money in this situation? So we've talked a lot about the analogies, about like money is a promise, about the future, um, it's a hedge against uncertainty, like it is the ultimate good within an economy. But what does it mean to be the unit of account? And what's funny is that this really gets down to one of the key philosophical or really the informational nature of what money is 
in society. So it becomes all of these other roles because or as a result of its informational purity. Essentially, the lack of entropy in the supply of it as a good in relation to everything else. So it is literally able to give us the information, the, the signaling about the scarcity of other things. It is able to absorb the scarcity of another good because its supply changes the least. This has always been true of the dominant money. With very, very little exception, if it could sustain or secure its lower supply, which is why money and, excuse me, which is why gold and silver failed, is because they stopped being able to prove and actually sustain a tight supply. They, they failed as hard money because the environment, the systems which we use to move it around, changed too quickly, and silver and gold simply could not could not maintain it in a virtual world. But the basic idea is that as something becomes scarce, its price against money must increase or the information is largely poisoned. The money must be able to account for this or the resource will get completely consumed and other resources will be drained to fill the gap. Money is the tool that is supposed to soak up that scarcity so that it can transmit the information and change the behavior of those in the economy. When lumber suddenly goes up 10x in price, it forces people to stop using it. It encourages everybody to find alternatives. Maybe you'll build out of aluminum. You'll build an aluminum or steel house because suddenly lumber is so incredibly expensive. It forces us to adjust to that scarcity. It accounts for it so that we don't run out of the resource. It is a critical part of our survival as an economy, as a social and economic being, some, someone or something that can... Like humanity only survives because of trade. It, without the economy, without the organism of society... Actually being able to function and account for information on you know, one side of the world and actually change the behaviors and adopt or, or soak up that information on the other side of the world, whether or not they know where that information is coming from or why it is. Nobody has to care why lumber went up in price, but it absolutely should and will change the behavior of someone if it goes up in price to not build a deck today. If, suddenly, if that deck isn't very important. And that price rise might be because there was a horrific hurricane or typhoon or something halfway around the world in which we have to just rebuild millions of homes. But that person doesn't need to know. All they need to know is that the money soaked up the scarcity. It, it, it transmitted the information perfectly of the, or as perfectly as can be transmitted across millions, billions of transactions from you know, A to B across the seas and, you know, throughout all the states and everything, it was able to transmit the information of the, of the shift, of the chaos and the, and the change in the supply of that good to someone who was just going to go to the store and buy some lumber to build their deck. And instead of consuming that resource when it is much, much more needed somewhere else in the world, they deferred. 
They either didn't build their deck or they built a patio out of brick instead because brick was still cheap. Whatever it is, they changed their behaviors. They adjusted for the reality halfway around the world. And that is exactly the mechanism by which civilization survives, that we do not run out of resources. And fiat money necessitates the idea of a money that is manipulated to cover up those price differences, to, to smooth out, quote-unquote, the behavior or the instability or the volatility of those prices is necessarily an increase in the entropy. It is a destruction of the very information that money is transmitting through the economy, is specifically there to present, to actually account for. That's why in his equation, monetary any shift in the monetary system, any inflation, is just additional entropy. It breaks down the very signaling mechanism that money gives us, that the price system actually transmits. This is actually why, like in some of the pieces we've covered previously on the show, um, I can't think of one off the top. I can't think of exactly which one has hit this off the top of my head, unfortunately, but that a secondary use for money is a net negative on its ability to operate as a good money. So the fact that we can use gold in electronics or in jewelry or you know some non-monetary use actually makes it a subpar money because suddenly... The demand of jewelry or, you know, how many computers we want to build this year have a disproportionate impact on the price of the monetary good. Whereas money is supposed to be that thing that equally, equally adjusts to all other goods in the market. That what, that's what makes it such a profound unit of account. That's what makes it such an information-dense technology. And why, historically, always the hardest money that can scale to the greatest degree, to the greatest breadth of the social and cultural sphere, aka it doesn't matter what culture you are or what jurisdiction you're in, everybody can trust that gold is gold because they can verify it independently, the, the one that does that the best wins out. It becomes the dominant money. And it's not even a matter of preference. It's, it's a matter of necessity. Without that mechanism, society literally cannot survive. It's literally like trying to remove the blood from an organism and thinking that we can manually do the process that blood does uh, by keeping tallies of what every cell in the body and every organ needs. And somehow we're going to create some centralized institution or some centralized ledger that will just keep up with all of this and figure out how to uh, uh, re redirect and facilitate all the transfer of the, the, the resources and the oxygen and the nutrients and everything to the entire body when blood does it, when, when literally we have a fluid and an internal system in our bodies that does it automatically and uh, better than anything we could possibly engineer to replace it. Actually, there was an analogy I used recently um, is the idea that we're going to put in an institution that will control the supply of money to level out volatility and all this crap. We're going to artificially do the job that money does naturally already um, is like saying we're going to take a perfectly healthy person and we're going to remove both of their kidneys and then make them walk around with a dialysis machine and pretend 
that somehow this is going to do the process better than their kidneys would have. And all the while, really, the reason that this is happening is because, you know, the people who run the dialysis machine feel important and they now get a salary for doing a job that was already naturally done by a healthy kidney. You know, they're over there tweaking metrics and everything and getting their committee together on deciding how we're going to adjust what the dialysis machine is doing. And, um, and you know, of course, the, the human is constantly sick and uh, collapsing and having convulsions and all of these problems. And they insist that it's just because, uh, oh, it's the natural, it's the natural way. It's the, the body is just unhealthy. And, you know, without this dialysis machine, obviously everything would fall apart. But luckily, they're there to uh, remove all the volatility and the uncertainty in the uh, kidneys' natural processes. Anyway, he goes, uh, uh, Aaron goes a little bit deeper into the concept. And, and I, I love that he brings up GDP because this is something I, I talk about quite a bit that I, can't, I just cannot believe how obvious this is once you kind of understand the Austrian perspective of money, but that GDP is a is just a horrible measure of economic productivity, of economic growth. And uh, Alan Farrington uh, has a wonderful piece. Actually, I'm going to make sure I take a note of this so I can put this in. Um, the Capital Strip Mine. Uh, and this is, this is really about the idea of how we have completely just abused, I guess you could say, the, the actual metrics that we aim for in the economy and GDP in particular has led to destructive behavior being listed or being promoted as productive or healthy, healthy for the economy. Literally, GDP goes up if consumption goes up. And the analogy that Alan uses in his piece is that for one year, Let's say a farmer chooses to consume all of his seed instead of saving some for planting the next harvest, that this would actually increase the GDP. That consumption, it would look like there was massive growth this year, and yet we would have absolutely no harvest next year. It does not account or make any sense of real productivity and sensible, like, like actually making the proper trade-off for productivity in the future versus consumption today. The obvious and common sense reality is that if you consume resources that you do not replace, that you have not produced, if you measure by consumption alone, fewer resources means you are poorer. It doesn't matter if the GDP goes up. And the best measure of actual, the actual increase in the productivity, in the economic output, in the resources saved in producing the same amount of value into the economy under a hard money standard, under a stable money supply, one that does not have monetary entropy or has the least monetary entropy possible, is deflation. It is the price deflation in the market. And Aaron hits, you know, this is something that Jeff Booth talks about a lot as well um, in his uh, piece, the, uh, or in his, his book, The Bryce of Tomorrow. But Aaron hits on this in just the, the basic nature of this is that deflation, the, the idea that deflation is a bad thing 
is completely antithetical to the very idea of technology and innovation. All technology and innovation, period, all of it, every last bit of it, is a deflationary force. Back to the original quote we talked about, um, and this is what I read at the very beginning of this show. If money remains a constant, all technology and innovation is a force for deflation. To say that deflation on its face without the context of why and what the situation is, is a negative thing is to literally say that innovation and technology is a net negative for the economy, which is just so stupid. I mean, anybody, anybody listening to this to just think about common sense, to drop everything, there is no way that technology and innovation is bad for the economy. That's just plain idiotic. Yet it is, a nat- it is a naturally deflationary force. What could that tell us about the monetary fallacies that we believe today? And here, in my opinion, is one of the most poisonous things about the manipulation of money. It literally means that even if everyone tries their absolute hardest to make decisions to save more, to consume less, to actually be productive and not increase their consumption, the nature of the price manipulation literally makes it impossible for those decisions to have any actual effect on being more productive and preventing overconsumption in the economy. They can and do simply manipulate it away by whatever margin is needed. If there is someone manipulating the money to push for more consumption and more debt, and even if it has to go, the thing is, even if 99.999% of the population tries to correct for this, but that 0.001% is simply given enough money to counteract it and they buy up all the resources and waste them or consume them, there is a net loss. All they have to do is just keep, they manipulate harder. And that is their whole job. That is their mandate, is to manipulate until they get the results they expect to see. So no matter how hard we save and try to protect ourselves and the economy as a whole, the the organism by which we all survive, by removing trillions of dollars from the market, by not borrowing those trillions of dollars, by foregoing the consumption that would waste the resources that are preciously scarce and that money is trying to inform us of, they can just print trillions of dollars to delete it, to delete all the effect. They can issue trillions of dollars in new debt to all of their cronies, to all the big companies, and it is a giant counterbalance to the mechanisms that are actually trying to fix the economy, so that we don't get sick enough to kill the whole organism. They are systematically deleting the effects of every trade-off, every hard decision, and every attempt to protect ourselves and our capital and our savings, and realigning our behavior and consumption with the real world, with the real scarcity of goods and services, so that our actions do not purge the waste from, the, from society. That they do not remove the parasites. Because that's what would happen. That's what would happen if we had real prices and sound money. We would purge. We would go through. Right now, we would have the greatest purge of toxic debt, 
corruption, wasteful institutions that are just burning through capital and consuming resources and producing less in their replacement. Uh, it would it would eliminate so many corporate cronies. There would be so many receivers of bailouts that have been propped up for 20 years on toxic loans and crap services and bad business practices, the perpetrators of massive financial fraud that have been propped up, who've gotten monetary privileges for decades. And from, from their point of view, this would be the end of the world because it's their world. But they are surviving explicitly at the cost of the people who are actually producing, the people who are actually trying to save. And they are dumping the entropy onto us so that they can save their asses because they are the ones manipulating the dialysis machine and they have specifically removed all of our kidneys so that they have a job. There is no exit from this. There is no solution without fixing the money. It is impossible to correct it if the money remains broken. Highly recommend Alan Farrington's the Capital Strip Mine as a follow-up to this, if you haven't uh, read and or listened to it. Um, and then also Hayek's, the, the kind of essential work on the concept of pricing and what the role of money is, uh, The Use of Knowledge in Society by F.A. Hayek. Two of my favorite pieces on this topic in particular. And a huge shout-out to Aaron Siegel for this piece. Um, I love this kind of framing of it. Uh, in the context of just entropy within the economy and that money is kind of this ultimate tool for transmitting essentially that information. And there's one other really powerful idea that I want to stress before we close this episode out. Uh, really quick though, just a thank you to our awesome sponsors. We've got Swan Bitcoin, swanbitcoin.com slash guy is a place to go get $10 for free and start your Bitcoin savings plan. Auto buy and auto withdrawal to your keys. I actually just had my withdrawal go through last night to my Bitbox. Uh, the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet, by the way, is our other sponsor, obviously, or, well, Shift Crypto. But the Bitbox hardware wallet and Swan Bitcoin are literally the best sponsor pairing that I could ask for. It is the one-two punch of automatic dollar cost averaging and securing your keys for a safe journey into that bright Bitcoin future. Don't forget to check them out at guyswan.com. Now, the last, the last thing I want to hit before we close this thing out is that price inflation is not the, the measure of how much money is being manipulated or the, the entropy or the loss of value that otherwise would be. Um, he's got a quote in this, it says, the most encompassing definition for inflation is more fundamentally the depreciation of money versus the value otherwise created, end quote. This is so important to understand. We would be seeing significant deflation among all goods and services. It is not merely bad that the price of gas or the price of coffee or whatever it is might go up because of inflation. It's bad that the price of these things don't fall as we get more productive. It is flatly destructive. It destroys the ability for the economy to transmit truthful information 
stable money prices as technology and innovation makes things better is a bad outcome. We should have price deflation everywhere. And that is a, the fact that we don't is a theft of all of that productivity for propping up a political and crony class that uses it in a destructive, corrupt, and manipulative way. So when somebody tells you the CPI is 3% or inflation is just really low, remember that it, even if it was zero, we are talking about the theft of all of the productivity, innovation, and technology that is spread for that year. That which was supposed to go to benefiting and increasing the value of our wages, the value of the time that we produce and actually put into making the economy better, has been completely stolen such that we are in the exact same position at the end of the year as we were at the beginning. All of our extra productivity, all of our innovation, every bit of our net growth has been removed from our purchasing power so that the net increase in the value of money is zero. Luckily, Bitcoin fixes this. Thank you so much to Aaron Siegel for this piece. Um, such a fascinating idea. Uh, and, and I love the kind of the th kind of physic physics and thermodynamic take on the concept of uh, monetary stability, like the supply of money and its relation to information and entropy in the economy. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a cool framing that kind of hits the same concept from a different angle. Uh, so a huge thank you to this for him to this for a huge thank you to him for this piece and to Bitcoin Magazine, as always, uh, for syndicating this show and the incredible amount of uh, articles and information and news that they put out. They are literally my number one resource, and I, I love Bitcoin Magazine. You guys got to check them out if you're not staying up on it. Don't forget to let me know what you want to hear on the show. Got a really good piece coming for tomorrow. Don't miss it. Stay subscribed. I am the guy Swan on Twitter. This is Bitcoin Audible. And until next time, everybody, take it easy, guys. This has been Bitcoin Audible, a 111 production.